Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare Presents Tales of the Beard, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about weird fiction. My name is Chase, and I'll be your co-host. Today, Ryan and I continue to talk about the weird fiction classic, The King in Yellow, by R.W. Chambers. If you want to support the show, you could do so at our network Patreon at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia. You can find our website with a link to the merch store at shakespearepod.com. And now, on with the show. Like I said, been working on the house. I don't know if you've seen the photos. I've seen some of them. So the upstairs bathroom, that's the thing yeah. that I'm like super proud of because it was the clawfoot tub and everything like that. But it's like a white bathroom, plain boring white bathroom it's upstairs so izzy's rooms she's got a bedroom and like there's another bedroom upstairs and we didn't want to put our bedroom up there also and so we basically said okay well you can have a playroom upstairs and a bedroom upstairs and then like if anybody comes to visit like your cousin spends the night or the boys come down or whatever they can crash in the playroom but so the bathroom upstairs we're like okay is what do you want this bathroom to look like it's your bathroom basically she picked the color of blue. It's like a greenish, like a aqua, like but deep, like a deep aqua blue. She wanted wainscoting, so I installed. I put wainscoting in there. I mean, <laughs> look, if you're gonna have a bathroom with an antique clawfoot tub, I suppose wainscoting is, you know, yeah, that's fine. It actually, it also meant that, like, okay, so there's some continuity now through the bathrooms. I put wainscoting in the downstairs bathroom as well. If you're going to do the upstairs one, you might as well. Yeah, whatever. We're going to wainscot the bathrooms. Fine. She picked out the tile. Um, Hannah painted the countertop so it's gray. So it looks almost like a, like a poured concrete countertop. Gotcha. Um, but I, I put in tile and I was tiling under the upstairs up underneath the clawfoot tub and I discovered that the feet come off the clawfoot tub. Huh. They slot in like the porcelain. Yeah. The, it's like cast, cast iron or whatever covered in porcelain. And the feet slot into these notches on the bottom and they, but they slide off. So I like one was kind of loose. So obviously like the tub's not sitting even. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, this one I can pull out and I tiled underneath it. And this one pulled out and I could tile underneath it, but I couldn't quite get it back into fit. And then I like was able to like lift the tub and pull the one leg out. And got under that, but it, like it, it had been sitting on the floor, obviously for so long under the hardwood, that it had caused a depression, ooh, in the floor. And there's no way I was like I couldn't get that one to seat back in properly. And then the last foot, like the back corner of the tub, I was like, there's no way I can get enough leverage to lift the tub and slide that foot out at the same time while I'm tiling this floor by myself. How am I going to do this? So I went out to my car. I got the jack. I was just about to say and you I just get a jack and jacked, pop that sucker I, up. I I put it on a I put it on a cut like a spare cut scrap piece of tile so it didn't mm-hmm. fuck up the tiles I had already put down. I put a right. board on top of it like a uh yeah, piece of 2 by 8 or 12 or whatever. Set it on there. Jacked up the tub just enough to pull all the feet off, finish tiling underneath, slide all the feet back where they're supposed to go, set the tub back down. And I'm like, I'm pretty fucking proud of myself for thinking, (laughs) go get my fucking jack out of my car. And like, just enough that it didn't fuck up the plumbing or anything like that. And then, of course, I had to put a new 
faucet on it because it had a broken faucet. Oh, yeah. On the tub. And uh, so I'm like, well, okay, so we're already going all out, old timey bathroom, antique. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a 19, and the house was built in 1900. Um, we're going, you know, so I guess we're going full in old timey on this. And so I got an old style clawfoot tub faucet that's got the telephone style shower sprayer. Yep. That sits across the top of it. And I've got that installed uh, up in the upstairs now. So that way you can take a bath in the clawfoot tub and then you can turn, you know, rinse your hair with the shower, you know, like, but it looks like a telephone. Yep. Solid. Choice, choice, choice. So yeah, that's I'm I'm proud of that. Um, and then you know, like I tiled a new backsplash in the downstairs bathroom and a lot of painting. But yeah, so that's what I've been busy with because I, you know, I go to work on the back half of the week and then I spend my days off working on the right. house. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to getting through that. We're hoping to be moved in. Uh, this coming month will be in, and oh wow, at some point in April we'll be moved in, and nice. Theoretically, I'll be able to start recording in the library or whatever, as we're calling the front room. With a there's gonna be a shelf with board games with a table to play them on, and then uh, a couple of nice. Uh, we're getting some like I think we're I think we settled on some like tufted style like wingback looking recliners mm-hmm. um for the reading area there's because there's got a turret and it's got like a round part to the front room and it's got three big windows there right um and we're gonna put a couple of reading chairs in there and like that's gonna be the the uh the library or whatever the the non uh the non tv living area Gotcha. Which I like having in a house. I like having a so, room that's that's not. Oh, for sure. So when you when you set up this library, are you going to stock it fully with all of your fav- favorite plays, like The King in Yellow? Um, if I can get an actual copy of The King in Yellow, the play, which which people have kind of extrapolated. You, gotten the broad strokes from. People have kind of like extrapolated a play that you can put on. Uh-huh. From the King in Yellow, which is what we're talking about on Shakespeare Presents Tales of the Beard mm-hmm. tonight that uh, I, Ryan Halfill, and you, and I, Chase Greenlee, are recording. Yes. Um, and we're discussing the King in Yellow by Robert Chambers, R.W. Chambers. Um, the Yes, the, the collection of short stories, not the fictionalized play that he never actually wrote. Yes, he never wrote the play The King in Yellow, but since then, um, mm-hmm. I believe in the 90s, early 2000s, I mean, there may have been attempts before then, mm-hmm. but people have extrapolated from the text that exists within these short stories, people have extrapolated a play, The King in Yellow, that could be performed. Um. But the King in Yellow is the in this collection of short stories. The King in Yellow is the book or the play that leads to madness. Yes, and it really is a tie in the first four 
short stories um, in this collection and never gets brought up again. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's really evident in the most evident in the first short story, The Repair of Reputations. Yes. Um, the no, most. It is. And it, it leads with a strong foot because Repair of Reputations is very good. We have a character that is already mad, but we may not know that from, you know, the very first moments of the story. It is a deceptive madness that we are brought into and preconditioned to believe and sympathize with. Yeah. Um, that's one of the great things about the way that Chambers sets this up in this first story. Mm -hmm. You're sympathetic to Castain, Hildred, yes. Hildred Castain. You're sympathetic to him. And he is, he presents himself to be a empathetic and knowledgeable individual. Yes. Uh, he's very... Somebody who, you know, had it, had a rough go of it for a little while, but is getting back on his feet. People around him like and respect him as well. Yeah. Hauberk, um, the armorer, mm -hmm. likes him. Constance at least seems, you know... Likes his presence, if not romantically him. Yeah. Uh, well, because she, of course, is in love with Louis. Yes. Castaigne's uh, cousin. Castaigne. Mm-hmm. And, um, but over the course of the, of that story, we are given just enough hints to realize, oh no, he's crazy. Yeah. And there's, like, there, there is no better way about it. He's just, his perception of reality is stilted and wrong. Yeah, he, becomes... he is going to uh, Mr. Wild, who is a man that is besought and attacked constantly by his cat, who people are afraid of, who is ultimately killed by his cat. Yeah, the cat tears like, his the, throat the, open. Yeah, the cat ultimately killing him is kind of what kicks off the latter half of the story, or the latter like quarter of the story. Well, yeah, and, uh, like, they're alluding throughout every time that he's, like, whenever he's talking to Mr. Wild, like, this cat's going to be the death of me, basically. Yep. And, like, it's it's barely foreshadowing. It is a, it is either foreshadowing, like, because I, he said that, and I th immediately thought, it's like, oh, this, this motherfucker's going to get killed by his cat by the end of this. Mm -hmm. And, like, I, like, I have lived with animals that should have been the death of me. Like, I understand that relationship. I grew up on a farm for, for a couple of years. I get that. But this um, cat is literally... But this cat, like, fucking took it to the hoop, and you don't see that often. No, yeah, the cat, like, and the cat is vicious in this... Yeah. What is passed off as, like, play? Kind of? Play? It is... In the beginning? Wild tries to, like, brush it off as play, but even... Even Castain is like, I don't know about this. I don't like this cat. Castain does try to kill the cat. Yes. At one point. Um, like, well, after, after the cat he witnesses the cat attack wild pretty savagely. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, Wild is writhing on the floor in pain, and Castaigne's like, "I'm just gonna take care of this right Let now," me... and grabs a butcher knife, and then can't find the cat. The cat snuck off, couldn't be found, and that's the only thing that saves the cat there for it to come back later and murder. Yeah. Um. So, though the repair of repara- reputations, I keep wanting to say repair of reparations. I I did the exact same thing. A lot of the titles in, for whatever reason, whether it is just my ADHD not gra- grabbing on to what is being put in front of me or just the words that Chambers is using. But I, I did the same thing with, um, uh, what is it, the uh, Paradise of Prophets? Mm-hmm. The Parade uh, of Prophets? Yeah, par- yeah, exactly. The, the, the Prophet's Paradise. Like, I kept call, I called it the Parade of Prophets. Like, no, that's, that's not it. Although, Parade of Prophets, because if this is all of the prophets and we are now being introduced to them in a, you know, a succession, like a parade, I'm just saying mine also made sense. No, it could work. For sure. Uh, but, um, yeah, it is, this is definitely the strongest foot to lead with. It oh, is very by far. interesting. Now, that being said, I do, we, touched on it briefly last time around um but the racism and anti-semitism right in the uh, beginning presented like right off the bat um where in this further so the question is is the america that is being presented the america of a madman someone uh or, or someone like who is at least aware of what is going on in the wider world around him. And to that second point, uh, is it the, uh, is this supposed to be a utopia or a dystopia? I think, um, I think what Chambers ultimately went for once you become aware that Hildred is an unreliable narrator. Sure. That nothing that comes from Hildred can necessarily be believed. And so Agreed. is this because the later stories, the later stories give the lie to the timeline of this happening because sure. Uh, dude, uh, new Castane in the yellow sign. Yes. Right. And that is not set. In the future, the yellow sign is not necessarily set in, um, at least as far as I know, 1920, mm-hmm. when, uh, when repair is supposedly set. Um, yes. I don't think we are ever given a firm timeline for, for the yellow sign. No, but it seems like if he knew Castine. Mm hmm. And didn't want Tessie to read this. I don't, and, and everything else is set in around the time or before the time that Chambers wrote this. That is, is this 1920 US what Chambers is saying is some, you know, fictionalized future or is he setting up yet another thing? That is unreliable based off of Hildred mm. Castain. I mean, that is 
certainly plausible. I hadn't considered that on my initial read through. Um, because I mean, I, I will be honest because I being much more familiar with Lovecraft than I am with Chambers. I am, you know, doing some back projecting. Um, and Lovecraft, I mean, we've been talking about him, you know, alluding to him a lot over the, you know, last episode. And, you know, we probably will as, with this episode. Uh, Lovecraft is a noted, highly documented, awful racist of a person. Yes. Um, yeah. He, he, he was a vile product of his time. And the fact that he has created uh, some of the most evocative prose that has come out of this country um, is disappointing that you do also have to carry that baggage with him, but it is baggage worth recognizing. Oh, you have uh, to recognize that. Yeah. If you're, if you're ever going to do uh, anything under a modern lens that involves HP Lovecraft, you have yeah. to acknowledge the fact that the work has to be separated from, from the artist to be able to give it, any kind of a fair shake. If you're talking about, uh, you know, in relation to Lovecraft, the works of Lovecraft, you basically, if you, if you're gonna, you have to throw the whole thing out. If you're, right. if you're not going to accept the fact that. Pause for Ryan to take a drink. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> if you're not going to talk about the, the fact that he's a horrible racist, you can't really talk about his work. Exactly. You have to acknowledge um, it. And I don't think that Chambers goes there. I think that it, there's a couple references right here in the beginning of Repair of Reputations, but it really doesn't come up throughout the rest of it. Not in this book. I feel like, because I, I have sought out Chambers, like finding a copy of The King in Yellow has been one of my white whale, um, like, I've been looking for this, a physical copy of these stories for many years. Mm -hmm. um, and my favorite place to look for the, the copy of these stories is um, the local used bookstore Grounds for Thought. Um, because they have a fantastic vintage book selection. Oh, you can always, you have like, to, I've bought so You many... have to be willing to dig I've bought a ton shit. of different copies of Shakespeare plays and things like mm -hmm. that at Grounds. Oh, same. No, I have a collection, like, actually from about the 1800s, like, late 1800s, early 1900s. I forget exactly when they were printed, but they are small, leather-bound. Mm -hmm. We've got them in Cassie's library. I love them. Um, but uh, I have dug through, all of this is to say, I have dug through the selection of R.W. Chambers that they do have at Grounds for Thought before. Mm -hmm. um, and I have poked through a couple of his other collections. I have every reason to believe this motherfucker is perfectly fine with certain racist attitudes. I have not done the deep dive to be able to say that for certain, yeah. but I have seen the language he has used in other collections of short stories. Well, and that's entirely um, possible. This is the only thing of Chambers that I have read. Sure. Um, like and I this said, is the only I thing I've know, ever spent time with. I do know later... Um, his later works after this, he becomes much more of a romantic author, which is alluded to in the, the streets, mm -hmm. um, trilogy. Um, but everything is in question with what happens in repair of reputations based on the fact that Castain is such an unreliable narrator. What, if any of the story, what is true? Yep. 
um, is anything that has happened in this story true? Or is it all a figment of Castaigne's delusions? Mm -hmm. Um, Did he, you know, was he actually given a clean bill of mental health by Dr. Archer? Did Mm -hmm. he, as he alludes to, or as he basically directly tells his cousin Louis, did he kill Dr. Archer? Um, did he send an assassin to murder Constance Hauberk? Mm-hmm. Did the cat kill Did the Wild? cat kill Wild? Or, like, uh, or yeah. did Castain? Yeah. Is that maybe the uh, one murder he did commit? No, it is. Uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, everything about it, from the moment that we realize that he is not a reliable narrator, that does throw absolutely everything into question. Yep. Um, From the moment that Louis discovers him with his crown, air quotes, crowns, um, we don't know. We don't know if anything that we have had up to that point or after that point, because, because Hildred still buys into his own delusion after that. Yeah. He still fully believes that he, as a devout follower of the king in yellow, that he should be the next in line for the, you know, empire of the empirical dynasty of America. Mm-hmm. But like we get the most bits of the play, the King in Yellow, the most references to the play in Repair of Reputations. Absolutely. We get the most about Carcosa, Haster, Aldebaran, the Hyades. This work has actually spawned a lot, not just as an influence of Lovecraft, but the King in Yellow, there are a lot of... uh of following works like uh, HBO's mm-hmm. True Detective. I was just about to say we can't we can't talk about Haster without talking about True Detective, which, which is I honestly I, I wish s- they had done more with that. Yeah, um, but the Yellow King and and Carcosa, I still actually haven't seen True Detective, and I really need to. So he- here's the thing that I didn't realize: it's an anthology show. Yeah. Season two, nothing to do with season one. Yeah, I, I did. I so did know that. Yeah, because like it immediately, like all of the Lovecraft stuff that they were building, all of the stuff with Haster, like as far as I can tell, completely out the window for season two, and I immediately lost interest. Yeah, because that's what I was there for. It's like, yes, give me people investigating these horrifying, weird fish cults. Give me people worshiping a play that drives people mad. And then we didn't get any of that. We just got a little taste, just a little, just a little appetizer of it, and then nothing else. And that's a bummer because one, there is a hunger for it. Yeah, people, people want that. There, um, the what is it, Lovecraft Country, which came out this past year, which I need to watch because I'm bad at watching TV. I want to read the book. Uh, there's, a, I didn't realize there's a book. Yeah, it's a book. It's based off a book. Oh. But I, I've heard the the show is amazing. Um gives a completely 
different perspective on the South than most people get. Yeah. Like, I'm here for it. Um, also, not for nothing, but a POC cast telling Lovecraft stories is incredibly subversive and fascinating yes. in its own oh, way. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. And that, like, that's what has me interested. I want to see that different perspective on these stories I know so well. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. Um, right. But I, you know, I, I am also just terrible at watching TV. Typically, if I'm going to watch a TV show, both Cassie and I have to be into it. We are now watching the Marvel TV shows. And before that, the most recent show we watched was The Good Place. Love The Good Place. Which, don't get me wrong. Great show. Fucking fantastic. But yeah, I'm just really bad at watching TV on my own. It takes a lot for me to to get invested in something. Um, There's a influence apparently on somebody by the name of Young Lean, who is huh. a Swedish rapper. All right. Um, a Swedish rapper who uh, references um, the King in Yellow in his song Yellow Man. Okay. Using the lyric, I'll be your yellow man, Carcosa Land, in one of his raps. Um, in Thinner, Stephen mm-hmm. King references the King in Yellow. Sure. Raymond Chandler who used to write detective novels back in the 30s and 40s and whatever. Okay. Wrote one called The King in Yellow. And the protagonist talks about reading a book called The King in Yellow once. Okay. But that's a mystery story. It's not a horror story. It's not supernatural, but there's just a reference. Right. Marion Zimmer Bradley, um, famous for her fantasy works. Um, included the names, a lot of the names from the King in Yellow in one of her series. Um, Haster, Holly, Camilla, Casilda, um, and said that, that Chambers was an influence. Okay. On her Blue Oyster Cult apparently quotes the title in one of their songs. Mm hmm. Dark Souls, the video game. Uh- Yes, there is the Xanthus a, a King. Xanthus King Jeremiah, who is uh, y- who is clothed in yellow. Yep, has a real weird. If you haven't, hey, even if you're not a Dark Souls fan, if you're not a video game fan, look up Ryan. If you have, if you don't have it in front of you, look up uh, uh, Xanthus King Jeremiah because it is one of the dumbest costumes in a game I've ever seen. But see um, Xanthus is actually a word. That word actually apparently means yellow as well. Ah, okay. So I'm looking this up. I'm looking up Xanthus King Jeremiah. Yep. What yeah, in just the look hell? Up, yeah, no, like, look at that big derpy turban. What in the hell? Um, he, Yeah, he, he's got, like, a head the size of his body off of his neck. It's super silly. And then, of course, um, Lovecraft. Yes. Wrote references to the Lake of Holly, the Yellow Sign, and the Whisper of Darkness, which was one mm-hmm. of his big... Stories in the Cthulhu Mythos. Um, the clay, the play, The King in Yellow, basically becomes a part of the Cthulhu Mythos. Yes. Um, the Yellow Stein, Yellow Sign is linked to Haster. Um, August Derleth, who was a, a follower behind Lovecraft and actually fleshed out the Cthulhu Mythos even further, developed Pastor into a great old one. 
some of Derlis stuff is considered controversial because he reworks some of Lovecraft's uh, writings. One of the few things that Lovecraft actually really got right was the concept of just just totally shared universe, like open source uh, creative creativity is meant to be free. Um, 100% down with anybody taking and using what he did for uh, other creative purposes. He worked with um, a great deal of authors and they shared a loose canon with each other. Yeah. Um, which I was always down for. However, there is, there is one adaptation that I don't know if you know about, but I desperately want to take part in, but it's difficult because it's very spendy. Um, are you familiar with the Mysterious Package Company and their adaptation of Haster? No. I mean, I've, I've heard of... I just dropped it into the Zoom chat. Um, so if for the uninitiated, the Mysterious Package Company is essentially a, for lack of a better term, a uh, an escape room that gets mailed to you. And yeah, like I've heard of these things. Yeah, and they have a an experience that is called the that is called Haster. Um, it's just shy of two hundred and eighty dollars and currently sold out. But the idea is that you get a ticket to go and see the King in Yellow, and then that is your first package, and then your second package is a slew of mysteries surrounding uh, the performance of the King in Yellow. And uh, if you just Google, like, Haster Mysterious Package Company, it will come up. Um, it comes with a bitchin' statue of Haster and a bunch of, like, fully realized, like, paper props and all of that. Yeah, wow, that, um, looks, that looks cool as hell. It's very neat. I've done... I did the... Um, uh, they partnered... What, a Mysterious Package Company partnered with the Adventure Zone a couple of years ago, and I... I did that experience, and that was a lot of fun and incredibly polished. If you had, uh, you know, if when this comes out, they somehow restock and you've got a little bit of stimulus money lying around and you are somebody who enjoys an escape room, I would highly endorse uh, checking this out because I bet it would be a rip-roaring good time. Uh, that looks dope as hell, um, for um, sure. Uh, but no, that is my that is my favorite theoretical um, Haster experience there. Um, and Haster uh, basically is basically uh, considered, or the King in Yellow is an avatar of Haster uh, in yes. the mythos Cthulhu mythos writings. Mm-hmm. Um, but Haster did not come from obviously did not come from H.P. Lovecraft and did not come from Robert Chambers. Did not. No, um, Haster and Carcosa, um, Holly, like the Lake of Holly. Yes. These come from one of my favorite authors, mm-hmm. uh, that did horror or supernatural horror fiction, um, in that time between Poe and Lovecraft, like R.W. Chambers, wrote before R.W. Chambers, and that is a fellow by the name of Ambrose Bierce. Bierce. You've mentioned Bierce a couple of times. We're definitely going to do some Bierce stories on Tales from the Beard. Um, Mm -hmm. One, the man himself, interesting. Sure. Uh, He was a, uh, if I remember right, he was a Civil War 
officer. Okay. Um, and he, like, he goes out in a mystery. Um. Huh. All right. Uh, so, so yeah, Ambrose Bierce. But Ambrose Bierce wrote, uh, short stories. Uh, one of them was called An Inhabitant of Carcosa. One of them was called Haita the Shepherd. Now, there's no necessarily that, it's not necessarily that Chambers was influenced by those stories. But, uh, he liked the names, at the very least. Sure. He clearly had read the story, um, and whether or not he, he, uh, followed along. But, uh, it's interesting that he pulls the names. So clearly he read Ambrose Bierce's work. Um, there's a lot of similarities to the stranger in the, you know, the mask that the stranger is, you know, gonna, supposed to take off. Um, which is, uh, the excerpt from the mask Mm -hmm. story, you know, like we, I mentioned briefly, uh, you know, is yeah. Mask of the red, like mask of the red death. Poe, you know, so Poe, beers, Mm -hmm. uh, guys that came before chambers that influenced they are, you know, they're they're all going to be reading each other's notes, not just because they're operating in similar fields, but because those fields were so much smaller back then. Oh, for you sure. Know, to, for I mean, sure. becoming published today is leaps and bounds simpler and much more difficult than it was back in their day. Oh, yeah. But what that ended up meaning is that for them, if they were to be published for Anyone that was interested in something even remotely similar, they were going to be read by them. Oh, yeah, definitely. And obviously... These days, while, like, to to be... I would venture being, like, published, published, like, the way that we are thinking of it, is orders of magnitude more difficult than it was to be published, published back then. However, because of self-publishing and because of just the sheer volume of publishing that occurs these days, um, you know, like... We you can go for decades, easily decades, loving a vic, uh, a genre and never reading you know pick uh, cornerstone works of it. Hence, why you and I both love weird fiction, have not read any of these stories before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've read uh, a lot of I've read a lot of beers. I've read a lot of Lovecraft. I've read some some other stuff. But sure. I've never read Chambers before. Yeah. But yeah, I've read, I've read some Poe. Oh yeah, and I've read a Poe. a decent bit of Lovecraft. Um, but yeah, never, never this one. I have, I have so many Lovecraft collections that are annotated by different people, and well, and I've also, you know, I've also read, um, Robert Howard, who was a sure. contemporary and uh, yes. Uh, uh, that's Conan, right? Yes, the guy who created yeah. Conan. Yeah, Bran MacMorn, um, Solomon Kane, um, and Conan. I think is another great one for us to delve into, because 
Conan fights Lovecraftian monsters. Explicitly. Like when I was talking about, you know, shared universes and all that, I was thinking Conan. Well, and Conan um, and Lovecraft were, they corresponded. Yeah, no, they were buddies. Yeah, they were friends. They were they were happy to lend each other monsters. Yeah, and, um, and Conan Conan fights his challenges, the things that challenge, like men don't challenge Conan. It's no. fucking Lovecraftian demons challenge Conan. Fighting frost giants challenges right. Conan. Um, but a lot of Lovecraftian style horror makes its way into Conan stories. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, and I love Conan. Um, that's a, like a part of, like, that. I don't, I don't know what it is, but sword and, you know, sword and sorcery, uh, pulp fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that stuff. Um, we should, we should put, we should put either Conan or Beers for next time around then. Oh, yeah. I, I'm gonna aim for Beers just okay. because he, he's a predecessor to the guys that we are going to be probably doing a decent amount of. Sure. But not a lot of people know him for, like, it's like, you either know him because he was like a civil war guy mm-hmm. or you like know him because he wrote the satirical devil's dictionary or you don't know who the hell he is at all, but he's a really interesting dude. And he wrote some really interesting supernatural fiction. Hi. Um, and well, we'll definitely get here. I, I know Beers for this, like, I actually didn't get into Beers. Uh, well, I knew, I learned who he was as far as a writer because my friend Jay Bestel. Yes. Liked the Devil's Dictionary. Mm-hmm. And he would put, uh, excerpts from the Devil when we worked at the BG News together way back in the day on page three, back when there was a comedy page on the, in the BG News. Um, Absolutely. That I wrote for and that Jay um, wrote for. And, uh, but he would put like definitions from the devil's dictionary in on page three. Um, and so that's like, but I didn't know Beers, the supernatural fiction writer from that. I just like randomly one day like picked up a collection of short stories and was like, I know this name. Let me read these. And I had no idea what I was getting into. For sure. Um, um yeah, no, so I'm really excited to get into beers. There's, I have a whole list of, of different stuff that will be really super interesting for us to get into. Um, but beers and, and Robert Howard are definitely up there. I figured Poe we may touch on, but I figured we'd probably leave Poe for the more main, uh, Agreed, agreed. Yeah, no, I know. He's I know, definitely the more I know mainstream. Cassie For and sure. Beth will want to be in on on the Poe. Absolutely. And we don't want to we don't want to deprive them of their uh, their chance to talk about that. Naturally. Um, but yeah. So speaking speaking of things uh, more in line with what we normally do, uh, the last pin that I had is one of our perma pins, and that is agency of women. And how this 
just completely lacks any of it. There's none. None at all. In any instance, a woman exists. They are fridged and sexy lamped. Yeah, they they exist as objects of lust. Yeah. Or they love are, they, in a couple but instances. Love, but love and lust, and they are to be taken away to cause pain. They're prizes. They are not human. They are... They are sexy lamps to be broken to break men. Yep. And that fucking sucks. Yeah, it's terrible. It is yeah. terrible. Agency of women like Genevieve. Right. She sounds she, she, she sounds yeah. like she, her agency was done before the before the show started. Yeah. Yeah. Um because she did she chose Boris. And that is a choice that, I mean, we didn't touch on this because, you know, we had 10 fucking stories to go through. But while she was in her delirious state, high with fever, um, she was calling out to Alec and saying that she had made a mistake in choosing Boris. Yeah. that So somehow she was influenced to choose Boris. She chose Boris, realized she made a mistake, but then she just couldn't do anything about it. Right. Because she had no agency and could not remake her choice. Yep. Um, and Genevieve, what is it? And then, of course, she has no agency when she becomes a marble statue. Yep. And we cut away from her even before she has a chance to say a word when she wakes up. Yeah. Um, and then Sylvie mm-hmm. in uh, the street where the shell fell or the yep. three of the first shell. She she's, asks she's, her husband to stay and he doesn't. She never fucking, she never gets to leave her house. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Like, does she uh, ever go outside? Tessie, depending on how much you uh, like the narrator is either, you know, falls in love with or is, um, gently coerced into, um, hooking up with, the one guy that she hangs out with the entire time she's there. What well, she she does it does sound like she and the other ladies go out and, you know, do whatever yes. they want. But it's But it is that's off but that camera. Is, it is off camera and the narrator looks on that with a level of scorn. Yeah. He's not a fan of like Oh, these young girls are going to go out and they're going to start meeting these men. They're going to mash. And they're, which is and they're you know, these men are say. not like, they, these guys only want one thing. They're not like me, you know, sophisticated men who live in art communes. Yes. Gonna meet up with boys who make money. Sophisticated art commune men. Yeah. Uh, no, absolute, absolute trash fire. Do not have any, uh, any patience for that bullshit. Um, uh, the, uh, Demazaldis, same kind of thing. Just like she, she has agency. She's, she either has agency and this is just how she makes her choices and, or she is predetermined and all agency is removed. I think she's trapped. Yeah. That's the way it seems because of the time slip. Yep. Like, she doesn't know that he's out of time or he doesn't know she's out of time. But 
they don't like there's they barely get to know each other as far as even their existence and they're both right. you know like expressing love for each other it's like it's like this was some sort of faded predetermined weird meeting and then she dies and then i don't think we have another woman that speaks until rubery well i mean constance is in well she's in repair of reputations yeah she doesn't she doesn't have a lot of agency she's just excited. she i mean she she has chosen to to be with louis yeah and that seems uh, like a good and healthy relationship at least from what we can tell from our stilted view yeah uh, at least vaguely but, uh but she is also not like she she is not an active participant in the story no not at all she is yeah she she is somebody she is somebody to be murdered really is what it comes down yeah. to is that she uh she is an obstacle she is something to be surmounted yeah. Yeah, basically, she's treated as an object. Yes. Um, the court of the dragon. There is no. I don't think there are any women. Not there. There is not. Uh, yeah, not no named women. Um, Street of the Four Winds only has a dead woman. Exactly. Um, Street of Our Lady of the Fields. Uh, I mean, there's the woman that is uh the American girl there's... at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But she is basically the guy's like doesn't want anything to do with her because she's all, I guess, high and mighty because she's been in Paris for like a week longer than he has or something. <laughs> um, Americans. But yeah, there's not then, a whole lot. Then there's Rue. Yeah. And like Rubery, like ostensibly has the most agency because she is proposed to and she says no. She makes then, she makes her own choices. She lives, yeah, and separate. she may or may not be a supernatural entity. Who knows? I like to think that she, maybe she is. That certainly makes the story at all interesting. Outside of a man yelling at the Arc de Triomphe, which is still very funny. Yes. Um, but that like. This is, and this is something I think we are going to come back to constantly as we continue to dive into, you know, er, effectively kind of what we're pegging ourselves as early American science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is that we are not, we're going to get really regressive. Not us, but like the 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 fiction we are reading is going yes. to become incredibly regressive compared to what we had done. Well, yeah, because I think the, the, one to, of the biggest Billy Shakes, to Shakes who was was shockingly like overarching, shockingly feminist in his writing. Yes, especially particularly for the especially time, especially considering writing in the fifteen hundreds and sixteen hundreds. And may uh, I, I say maybe certainly a big part of that is just the sheer surprise of not expecting it. Oh, yeah. and that it being there and like just right there in the text. We weren't expecting it and it was there and it was wonderful. But we are now moving into an era and a location that was significantly more sexist. Oh, 
Yes, by far. Like this was, this was an absolute dog shite time. Well, and this is this is the to, U.S. For, for what it comes to treating people. This is the U.S. The United States this is, is uh, mm-hmm. Reconstruction era. In the case of Chambers, you know, pre yeah, uh, pre women's suffrage. Yep. Jim Crow. And then, we'll, and then we'll when we do get into Lovecraft, I mean we're getting into the you know, into the twenties and thirties. Yeah, late twenties like it's, it's late twenties, early thirties. He read uh he read The King in Yellow yeah. in nineteen twenty seven and it inspired him. Yep. And you know, so this is a this is a foundational text for a lot of the things that we are going to be covering. Both good and bad. Oh yeah. Um like I you know, I I think, you know, you and I kind of have come down in the same way. It's like, you know, when when this book hits, it hits. And when it misses, it is so far off base. Oh, and yes. one of those ways that it's off base is just it's just just absence of solid representation. Oh, for sure. Um There's no reference generally to the uh cultural ethnic racial background of any of the characters though based on what chambers writes or how he writes mm-hmm. it's pretty well assumed that they're all white people for sure um it's pretty easy which to is an... assume that Yes. Um, but yeah, that is, um, let's take a look here. That was the last pin that I had down. Was there anything else? So there is, um, at least notably 1999. That was the version that I was trying to think of for the play. Mm -hmm. So several, uh, I guess several authors have created the real text or facsimiles of the real text of mm-hmm. the fictional play. Tom Ring in 1999 wrote one. It premiered at the Capitol Theater in Olympia, Washington. There's two printings of it huh. uh, for from Armitage Press. Um, August Derleth, who, like I said, friend and fellow writer of Lovecraft, mm-hmm. um, part of his, uh, Haster information or part of, you know, what he continued in the stories of with Haster was that an actual performance of the play, The King in Yellow, as referenced in the story, The King in Yellow, is a summoning ritual for an eldritch abomination. Huh. So, in starting in 1999, apparently, um, the uh, they started summoning eldritch abominations. Neat. If there is an interest in in a deeper dive into the actual text of that play, maybe we can maybe we can come back and do that, that up at some time. I don't know. Yeah, that that. That could be a fun Patreon episode at some that, point. I don't know that, if that would be a good full episode, but um, it's just a really it's an interesting work. It has spawned so much later work 
in occult literature. Mm-hmm. It is foundational. It's a foundational work of occult literature. You had Poe, mm-hmm. who Poe was like way out there for the 1800s. Oh, no. He, he was like Jackson Pollock for literature. Um, You had Poe. You had, like I said, Bierce. You had Chambers. But occult literature, like everyone really comes back to Lovecraft, yeah. who was another 30 years after Chambers wrote this. And Chambers even moved on. Yeah, to, to romantic literature. And Lovecraft basically called him a sellout. <laughs> like, this guy could have been great. Like, Lovecraft was like, this guy could have been great, but then he ended up a bitch. He fucking sucks, just doing cover albums. Lovecraft gave this guy so much shit after, like, he was, like, super inspired by him. But then he's like, yeah, but also he started, he sold out. I mean, how many musicians do that to, you know, like, you know, they're, they're, they like their band, uh, one band's earlier work until they sold out. Yeah. It goes to show that that is not a new mentality which is good and refreshing in its own depressing way i do want to run through a couple of things that i really like the mask in particular sure i love the concept of that story we have this thing it's turning these things into something else it is too terrible and too dangerous and we must get rid of it the character who's been fucking around with this stuff Someone close to that character is harmed by it. Mm-hmm. Guy offs himself. Two years later, like it, it stops being marble and comes back yeah. to life. And it's such an interesting, like, it's a tragedy. It's a terrible, yeah, it's a terrible tragedy. But like, if the tragedy is this guy. Obviously, you're not going to wait around two years to find out that your marble statue that you made of your girlfriend by, you know, letting her fall into your pool of juice. Your very bad pool. Your terrible pool of bad, bad juice. Not bad, bad juice. That's going on the t-shirt. Bad, bad juice. (laughs) Not Not the pool of bad, bad juice. But your your girlfriend fell in this, and so immediately you pull out a gun and shoot yourself in the chest. Right. And the guy then that she had confessed in her delirium to really being in love with is there at the moment she wakes up. Yep. There's like there's a another layer to that story that just by thinking about like it seems convenient. Doesn't it just that Alec comes back two years later? Yeah, just just in time. Just in time. Just in time for everything to come back to, come to back normal. Come back to normal. No, I mean, like, as much as I like that story, it is definitely, like, some plot contrivances oh, yeah, going there's on some, there there's to some, make sure, like... There's some trite... It's some bullshit. There's some triteness to it, but it's just really interesting. Like, the device is really interesting. Um, and at the time would not have, I mean, would have been fresh as hell. Yeah, probably. Would have slapped in 18, in 1870. Yeah. Yeah. That shit would have slapped hard in the 1800s. And, it's, and certainly it did because, like, we're still talking about it. Oh, of course. Um, the yellow sign, like, the end of that, like I said, 
that bald hard in 1895. Absolutely. The guy's like, I am writing the like my last journal entry as I'm about to die. Like the doctor is packing up his shit. He's about to leave. Mm-hmm. I know that the priest is going to give me last rites because I'm dying. My girlfriend died, like, just from looking at this dude. Looking at this five-day-old corpse. Months-old corpse that crawled up my stairs to murder me, apparently. And then all of a sudden, the journal entry trails off. Just stops dead. No, it's it's excellent. And it balls hard. Yes, there's some really great stuff. I wish that Chambers had written all of it like that. Yeah, I, I wish he had refined the. I wish he had refined the first half of King and Yellow, and not the latter half. Because I am sure, if you are somebody who is down for the slice of life anime that is, uh. Uh, uh, Rubery, then you are like, then you're down for it. Then that's great. There's so much more RW Chambers for you. But the bougie, but if yeah, are, if you want the bougie yeah. streets, then there's a lot of that. And, there's a lot of RW yeah, exactly. Chambers bouginess that you can get. And there's even a time where I could be like, okay, you know what? Maybe I do just want to like read some light, fluffy, like, I mean, I, I made the joke Slice of Life anime, but, like, that's a really popular genre, mm-hmm. and I have enjoyed it from time to yep. time. And, you know, just because I'm not, like, always down for Oran High School Host Club doesn't mean I don't like Oran High, Sc- Oran High School Host Club. I don't um, even know what you just said. It's, it is a delightful little Slice of Life romantic comedy anime it was super cute. They made one season and never made. They're always threatening to make the second one. I don't know if they ever got around to it. Right on. But, um, but when you go into a book and you start with the mask and repair of reputations and you end with um the street of Our Lady of the Fields, like that is a disconnect that is hard to reckon with. If we had started with the streets. If we had started with the streets, I probably would have gotten a hold of you probably around middle of uh, the second one and be like, hey, can we not do this? But if you start with the streets, or even if you intermingle them, if you yeah. start with the cat well, one. if you intermingle them, it's great. If you start with the cat one, if you do the four wins, and then you do... Go to the mask. Yeah, you go from that to the mask. Yeah. And then you do Our Lady of the Fields. And yeah. then you do Court of the Dragon. Court of the Dragon. Yeah. Restructure this. And then you do First Shell. And then you do Yellow Sign? No. You have to have repair before Yellow Sign because he knows casting. Uh so then you do Unless Counterpoint Strike that reverse it. You put the hint of Castane ahead of and time. Then if you and catch then you get, then you get Castane story, which you could totally. And then do. it's, and then it's a bit of, and then instead of it being a callback, it's foreshadowing. And that's, and that is horrifying because you know something bad is going to happen to this guy. And, and then you read the story kind of, about Castane. And if you exactly. do Rubery, well, no, you do, so you do first shell and then you do the yellow sign, and then you mm-hmm. throw in the Prophet's Paradise, 
Yep. As like a weird filler. And then, uh, and then, then you do repair of, or no, yeah, you do Demoiselle of Dees, then you do repair of reparations, and you still end with Rubery. Mm hmm. I think Rubery still makes a good capper, especially right with repair of reparations. Yeah. Because those two, just the way they are written, it's pair very nicely. Yeah, it's about the way they're written. And there's, like I said, there's a lot about Rubri that calls back to the writing style of repair of rep- reputations. So, yep. but if, yeah, if you do it in that order and you change it up so that way you're throwing the street stuff in, but you're getting the supernatural and then you never know when you're going to be hitting. And that's the valuable part. You never know you what's going to hit. You don't know how it's going to hit. Right. Yeah, you don't know, all right, what am I getting myself into this time around? If you scattershot it enough, um, at the very least, it makes it a more engaging read because you don't know when the madness is going to strike. When you get some weak and... shit out of the way early, like Our Lady of the Fields. Yes. That's weak shit. At least that one's short. It's true. But that, that one's weak shit. Now, Four Winds, like I said, I like that. That one's got like a, it's got a little it's, bit of a. You get a taste of yeah. it. You, it, it, like Rubery, you get that just a little, little, little taste on the tip of your finger. But um, there's nothing. There's nothing overtly supernatural about it, but there's enough. No. If you're already immersed, there's enough that your imagination is going to do with that short story. Yes. That you're going to feel it anyway. You're going to get that hint of supernatural that's not necessarily in the text, but you're going to feel it Mm -hmm. because everything around it is giving you that feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think change up the order, and this thing balls a lot harder. It slaps, like, because the ones that do are really good. The ones that do are really good. The yellow sign, yep. real good. Fantastic. Repair of reputations, real good. The mask, real good. Court of the Dragon, it's the weakest. It's a, that, 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 okay, that one's fine. It's the weakest of the first four. Yeah. But it's short. It's short. It makes its point. And here's the thing, like, where where it is not thematically excellent, it gets in, it makes its point, and it gets the fuck yeah, out. Yeah, it gets in, it gets which out. Which is there's, something, there's no like, about. even the good stories are not great at doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, even, even the ones that I like, that I would happily read again, all of them have, to some point or another, a saggy middle. Mm-hmm. Where it's just takes like two or three pages to wank about at how great it is to be an artist. Yep. Cause like I, I have lived that lifestyle. I was an art student. I, I, I have my bachelor's of fine arts in digital arts. Yeah. I have lived in an apartment full of artists. It is a fine experience at best. Look, I lived, we, I lived the theater department. Yeah, no, you you had the full bohemian lifestyle. I, for, I lived that for life many years for a decade. Yeah, um, always something going yeah. on. Usually nothing constructive. 
Yep. You are you are drinking and talking about how great you will be. Yep. And and occasionally you get to go out and prove it. Yeah. But you, there's a whole lot more talking about it than there is doing it. Damnedest thing. There's a, there's a whole lot more that talking is, about how great you've been or how great you would be than there is actually yeah. doing the thing. Uh, you, you you spend so much time hyping up your art rather than showing it or showing it off. Yep. No, 100%. And that is 100% the lifestyle that Chambers is extolling. Oh, for sure. For sure, it 100%. Is very navel-gazy. Um, very entitled is the word that is coming to mind. Oh, yeah. Um, every so often I read a book and I think like, ah, oh, man, I better get along with this guy. I better fucking hate Chambers. Oh, yeah. I would like, okay, look, let me rephrase that. I bet 20-year-old Chase 100% would get down with Chambers. But I am 32. Yeah. And I want to push this guy's face through a plate window. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, um He's very... Very into that bohemian artist commune lifestyle. That yep. I mean, I lived for a while. Yeah, <laughs> same. Like um, different commune, but, but yeah, you know, we we both lived that lifestyle for a while. Yeah. Um, and you were involved with it in the theater department, at least somewhat. Oh. A little bit. Like, I was involved in... I, I had, like, two years on the tail end. Like, when you were getting out, I was getting in and coming out at the same yeah. time. Uh, because that was in the period, you know, between me moving to New York, which was, like, the real start of my career. Yeah. yeah. And me getting out of school and working, like, five jobs that paid, you know, just above minimum wage in order to make ends meet. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, I mean, we both been in that kind of bohemian bougie like sure artist community type lifestyle um a long time ago and we would yes. have loved a guy like chambers and the style of people that chambers was writing about then absolutely now a lot of like i want to punch him in the face you know unless their name is foxhall clifford foxhall clifford such a good name such a good name i need to i need to do one more read of this because he just has good names from wall to wall oh yeah well and like and like you said like uh looking at and actually it becomes a lot more interesting if you look at um street of the first shell and mm -hmm. jack trent as like a proto tom clancy yeah like spy thriller war novel you know, in the line of fire, like a... Yeah. No, that that makes that tolerable. Yeah, it becomes a whole right. lot more interesting if you look at it completely outside of the genre that you're expecting when you're reading this collection. Exactly. And I think that's part I, of my I have problem. read exactly one Tom Clancy novel. It was a novelization of a Splinter Cell game. So... I think that tells you how much Tom Clancy I read. Yeah, I think part of the problem with this is that I went in with the expectation that I was reading a horror, horror anthology. Yeah, absolutely. 
And what I got was part of a horror anthology and part of a romantic anthology. And it was hard to suss out like what the overall feel was supposed to be. For sure. Um, and so that was that was vaguely disappointing. I did enjoy I enjoy the writing style of the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. I really do. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the vocabulary usage that you get from authors at that time. I enjoy that style. Ultimately, like I said, I enjoy the writing of Lovecraft and Howard and Bierce and things like that. Like I enjoy that period, like that hundred, well, mm-hmm. 60, 70 year period, whatever, between the end of the Civil War and the Great Depression, basically, <laughs> or I guess sure. World War, World War Two. Yeah. That writing style, the the literary yeah. style of that time period. Sure. Yeah, for but sure. a lot of those like, authors is... were real dinks. Fact. Look, a lot of people back then, dink and a half. Oh yeah, real real dinks. Some serious dickheads. Um, but, but we can look at that through a lens a hundred years later or a hundred plus. We years we have later. the benefit of time and context. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred years later, a hundred plus years later, and go, man, I would punch the fuck out of this guy, but mm-hmm. he really knew how to turn a phrase. Like yeah. he could write some words down. He was good at that. Decently pretty words, not all of them, but enough of them. But yeah, um, um, but yeah, and and I... Chambers follows this like uh follows that same it's that same inspiration that you get from Lovecraft is. Just enough um, to get the audience's imagination going, mm-hmm. but not enough to take the audience out of the story. Right. His descriptions are just enough to get your imagination flowing, but he doesn't give enough he doesn't give too much information in which that he's giving you everything and then you don't get to think. Because your brain is going to do way worse to you than anybody else. For sure. Um, and so that's the interesting thing. Um, so at that point, I mean, I know I, I think I added another like 20 minutes to the this episode <laughs> just by jumping. Yeah, most of it was worth it. Jumping in to talk, <laughs> to talk about the mask and... Um, the mask and, and then, I mean, the yellow sign is another one. Um, mm-hmm. but the mask really, that one really gets, uh, like I said, the first four, Court of the Dragon, take it or leave it. Yeah, it's fine. But Repairer of Reputations, the mask, um, the yellow sign, and I do like Demoiselle of Dis. Yeah, that's fine. I think it's an interesting, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a romantic story. But it is a an interesting one. It's still got that supernatural. Well, it, it feels it feels more gothic. Yeah, it's a gothic. Yeah, more than a romantic yeah, you... author, it's a gothic author. Uh, exactly. Or story. Which which is which is where those two meet. Yeah, it's it, which it, makes sense why it's there towards the middle. Yeah, it it meets the su- the supernatural and the romantic meet. 
right. with that story. And it's interesting. Um, yeah. And did you notice that the names of the Falconers, one of the Falconers was named Haster. I did notice that. Which I thought was interesting. And it added more yeah. of an element to that story that one of the Falconers yeah. was named Haster. It gave rise to the question, what is going on here way earlier? Mm-hmm. Way um, earlier than you might have otherwise looked at it. If they sure. all had been named like Raoul and Philippe and, you know, Jean-Luc. Right. Or whatever. But I think that's... That might be all I've got on this. Um, I'm really excited to dive into more weird fiction. Um, yes. it's a genre that I have always, um, always enjoyed. I got most, most of the weird fiction I got into, I got into starting in college. Mm-hmm. I played, uh, Delta Green. In college with Jay, Jay, Jay ran the games, um, Jay Bessel played with a bunch of my college friends, theater friends and the like. Um, but it is the modern Call of Cthulhu game. Everybody mm-hmm. is part of, uh, an organization called Delta Green and you were from some sort of government agency and it's about fighting back the Lovecraftian monsters. Um, but that's where I got into reading Lovecraft and things like that and just enjoying the the horror that tingles the hairs on the back of your neck and not like the jump scares and things like that. The horror that the horror that I like is the you absolutely should be afraid of the dark because you don't know what's out there for sure and that's that's yeah, and that why is, i love this stuff it is a cosmic fear of the unknown yeah which is something that a lot of modern like it is tricky to handle in any given situation um and i think it's easier think to it do in something... text it is easier to do in text but it is still rarely done um Honestly, if we want to get into, if we really want to, like, play uh, Calvin Ball with what we're doing here, I would love to do something on John Dies at the End. Oh, yeah, John Dies at the End for sure. Because, like, I don't think Beth is going to let us do those without her. I think she also really likes those books. We can find out. Uh, We can throw throw that out. But, like, John Dies at the End. But those books are so good. This book is full of spiders. Dude, seriously, don't read it. And um, what the fuck did I just read? Which I, still, also need, apparently I has, still need to read that one. It's very good. And apparently he's got a new series out as well, which I found out after last time we had this discussion. But I need to read those. Before we get off on another rambling tangent. Which we're good at. Final thoughts. Um. Okay. So you can't throw Chambers out. No. Because he's a foundational. Like, this. this work is foundational to the occult literature supernatural horror genre. Right. Is this enough to put him up with Poe, Lovecraft, those? No, it's not. No. What we have here is four very good to passable short stories. 
Now, it is very possible that in his other collections of short stories, he has ones that meet and beat these 100%. I've only read this, so I can't I can't speak to that. And this is the only collection that is ever recommended for Chambers. Yeah, this is what people tell you to read. If you're going to read Robert Chambers, read The King in Yellow. And is it worth reading? Yes, but don't read it in the order that it is in the book. Just don't. Go back and find the order that we mentioned, or at the very least, read the first four, read Desmodeldis, and read Rubery. And then throw the rest of it away. If you really like a Tom Clancy, read, read Shoot at the First Shell. And if you don't go into it expecting that your everything is going to be part of this, this horror story... You'll like it better. You'll like it better. And if you don't go into it expecting the King in Yellow to be referenced throughout the entire thing, you'll like it better. I think calling the collection The King in Yellow is misleading. Yes. But ultimately, it was a good read. It's fine. Enjoyable. I'm really excited to dig into some of the stuff that I already know I really love. And then I'm also interested. I've, Like I said, I've got some lists of stuff that I've never read before. Authors I've never heard of before. A lot of them older time frame. Like pulp fictiony, sure. That are related to this occult literature genre that I'm really excited to maybe discover something that could be really good, or we may read some hot garbage. We're gonna find out. That's a chance that you and I are taking by delving into some of this stuff, this pulp fiction that we've never read before. And with that, I've been Chase. I've been Ryan, and this has been. Shakespeare, Tales of the Beard. Say goodnight, Foxhall. Goodnight, Foxhall. This has been a Ghostlight Media Production.